Hi everyone and welcome to the Perma Podcast. Uh, I'm James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. It's really great to be with you all again. And uh, I am really excited about today's guests. Uh, it's a new guest. It's a guest I've been friends with for um, just over a year. And it turns out that I originally asked him on the show about a year ago and and it, it, for, one, for lots of reasons it didn't happen. But now she's here. Welcome, J.A. Brown. Hello, James. It's great to be with you. Hi. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> yes, we made it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's great to have you, have you on the show. And, uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to this. Thank so, you. Um, yeah, Jane is a, uh, children's author, uh, and, uh, a lot of other things as well. Tell us, just to, tell us a bit about, about yourself. Yeah, so um, I'm the author of a series called The Earth Chronicles. There is actually another series out there called The Earth Chronicles. I didn't realise from about the 1970s or something. Um, But, yeah, I write um, children's um, environmental fantasy. Um, So it's a bit like Lord of the Rings come Harry Potter, but all very much about um, nature and survival um it's a real coming of age hannah's story is a real coming of age um drama um i've been sort of writing since i was little um i think you know you hear you hear so many writers say oh i started writing when i was eight years old well that's that was that was definitely me um so yeah i've uh, i've also been a, a teacher for um for the last 12 years Um, But this is the first year that I've actually um, stepped away from the classroom, come out of the classroom. And so I'm quite excited about what's to what's to come in terms of, you know, building the the series, continuing writing and launching more books and, you know, creating more characters and sharing them, you know, with the world. So it's it feels like um, an exciting, an exciting time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is really exciting. And uh, yeah, and I mean, uh, ironically, we're not here to talk about <laughs> the books and, and the writing, but um, because um, you've, uh, last early, earlier in 2020, I did a series uh, on grief. Yes. And um, you were originally going to be coming on that show, that series, but like, you know, for lots of reasons, it didn't, it didn't end up happening. And um, so, what when we kind of when I kind of when we kind of decided you were going to come on today, we were uh, we were going to talk about grief and and uh, your experiences of grief and yeah. um, the lessons that you've learned. So, tell us a bit of about your story around grief. Yeah, um, I mean, so I was um, a lot of my friends say to me how blessed I was to have such lovely parents. Uh, you know, we we had a bit of a joke with a lot of my friends and family. It was like, oh, can we can we rent your mum and dad out, please? Because they're so lovely. And you know, my friends used to talk to them, and you know, so I was really really blessed with with that. Um, and it was uh, it's almost six years, so six years in January since I lost my mum, um, and it's I did not see that coming. Um, you know it's to be honest it absolutely floored me it it floored me um in ways I just never thought possible um and you 
you learn a lot and you see things. I think one thing that I've discovered is that you see life very, very differently and you experience life very differently when you've had such such a fundamental loss in your life. Um, mm. Because it's, I mean, I was very close to my grandparents, my, my grandmothers, um, you know, and I took their loss very badly. But then losing a parent is on a whole other level. And obviously they say that, um, you know, the only the only worst thing would be to lose a child. Um, and very painful, very raw. Um, and then it was um, three uh, coming up. Well, it's just been my dad's, my second anniversary of losing my dad. So I lost them both within four years um and yeah and then it was but it was um with my mum it was totally out of the blue completely unexpected I remember getting the phone call from my brother and uh, you know just I gosh the the day was a bit of a blur and then and I sort of get fleeting memories of it and you know sometimes I can recall parts of the day and it literally will literally take my breath away um I remember, mm. I remember, um, I don't know if you've ever seen this, James, but I remember an interview with Prince William when he was talking, and I think it was around the time of Diana's like 20th anniversary or something like that. Um, mm. And he said he still feels the shock even like two decades later. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you saw that, but. Um, I did, yeah. Yeah. I resonated. I resonated a lot with that because I, I uh, and. When he talked about the phone call, I mean, when yes. people who listen to the show know a bit of my story, but the day my mother died, I, I literally got woken up by a phone call at what? 7.30 from my dad. Uh, and then just the first thing he said was, your mother's passed away. And that day, again, like, like exactly what you said, the, day, the whole day was a kind of a blur. I was in shock. Um, I, I remember bits of it. I just, yeah, I remember seeing her body. I remember yeah. going to yeah. her house. I remember seeing a few people. Yeah. It was that whole weekend was just like, yeah, and you still feel it. Oh. You do. So like, it's 20 years, 20, 21 years nearly since my mother died. And, yeah, you can still feel that. So I completely resonated with what William said and with what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. The the shock of it, that, that's why I can't, it's, some, it, and it will literally, I don't know if you find this, James, as well, but it will literally take your breath out of your body and you have to gasp. I've, I've, I've experienced that many times. And, you know, when William said he sh- it was shock, I was like, oh, I've never heard anyone say that. It was, yeah, it really, it really did affect me. Um, and it, your experience was literally a cardboard cutout of my experience and vice versa. We, we had the same, the phone call, um, you know, the being, told me, it was my brother that told me cause, um, my dad was in the very stage, the early stages of onset dementia then, um, which we then went on to discover. Um, and it was, it, it, it was awful on several different levels because you, you're you're grieving and you're in shock and then you're angry and you go through those cycles of emotion that never ever leave you and but then we discovered then how how sort of ill my dad was and the dementia was getting worse and complicated with his diabetes 
So we had to sell the house. We had to put my dad in a nursing home. So, and then it just felt like we were going into a long period, a long death with my dad then, you know, Mm. and one thing that, um, that sort of took me a long time to come to terms with over, over the last year. Um, and I don't know if I'm still there. Maybe I, maybe I'm sort of come to terms with it is that, um, I've been, I've always wanted to do an, a master's, an MA in creative writing, which I did. I went back to um, my beloved Leeds Trinity University um, and just amazing. It's such a nurturing environment there. And I went back there from where I graduated as a t- uh, to become a teacher, um, did an MA because I was, after losing mum, it triggered me and I was like, right, I am not happy in the classroom anymore. I can't do this anymore. I I need to try somehow to follow my dream of being an author. I've, I've got to do everything I possibly can. You know, I wanted to make them proud and, I, you know, I, I, they always knew I wanted to be an author and they'd seen and I'd read parts of the first book, Hannah and the Hollow Tree, to them and... It was on, I remember getting a phone call um, the weekend before my dad died. And I I was at the hairdressers. I'd literally just had a load of hair dye (laughs) stuck on my head. And I got a phone call saying, you need to come swiftly. You need to get here. Um, And my brother then rang and we were talking. And my dad was quite, he was a fighter. He was, oh gosh, he was a fighter. Um, he, he's, he'd had many scares before where we'd get phone calls and I'd go flying out of school, you know, the, the nurses and the doctors, he's got pneumonia again, you get down here, he's not got long. And then he would battle through and somehow he would pull around. So we didn't actually know if it was definite that this was going to be the actual time that he didn't pull around. Um, and so we spent a few nights at the nursing home. My my brother and I both sleeping in the chairs at the side of Dad, and the nurses were saying, "This really is happening now." We we, we asked all his all the signs, all the things that they that no one ever talks about in polite society. Um, all those little key things started to happen. So we knew, and it was literally just let's be with him. But on on the Wednesday, I was graduating from my MA. And so I left his bedside to go and graduate. And I thought, am I, am I, you know, will my brother ring and say, don't bother coming back, he's gone, you know, kind of thing. And I, so I had this hanging over me while I was going yeah. to, while I was going to graduate and celebrate this moment, you know, I, for something that I'd worked so hard at, because I'd been teaching full time, I'd been a phase manager, um, as well as doing a, a master's, and I'd put my life and soul into it. And I was graduating, and I was doing the smiling, and I sort of went into that automatic mode. I just, I, I switched the robot on, and. And that was it. I was in, right, let's get this done. Let's let's stand for a photograph. Okay, let's, you know, do this. And mm-hmm. then 
I went I went as, as, as soon as I could, as soon as I got the photographs done, etc., done the shaking of the hands, stood wave, blah, blah, blah. Um, as lovely as it was, I then jumped in the car and I raced back across Leeds um, to get to the nursing home. And I got there and oh, I was so grateful because when I got there, my brother Stephen came out and he said, he said, his breathing's just changed. We think he's going to go any minute. And I was like, he's still here. And he said, yes, he went, but he's, he's just this minute changed. And I thought he's been waiting for me to get back. He, he's, I just felt, I felt so gosh, over, completely overcome. Mm. and then because my dad's such a fighter um we we spent sort of me and my brother sort of curled up into the on on the bed with him and and spent two hours so two hours about it was about four hours after I graduated that my dad passed away on the same day so it was um a roller coaster <laughs> it was you yeah. know graduating yeah yeah um it was um wow. it was a tough one it was a it was a really tough one yeah um yeah was, uh, a bit of uh, a very bittersweet day you know to graduate and yeah. then lose your dad on the same day i mean wow um yeah yeah that whole <laughs> waiting for you that is that yeah. really resonates with me too because i yeah. in a different way yeah. to you but because I, I don't know whether I've said this on the show before, but not certainly not for a while. But uh, the my mom, in the months before the weeks and months before my mother died, yeah, she had kind of had a goodbye moment with all of us um, right. because my sister was traveling. She was going to Thailand to travel for a few months, yeah. about a month before I think or six weeks, uh, and she came and she said goodbye to her at the airport and. And we only realised all this after she died. Like, I mean, yes. I mean, actually, we only realised a lot of it recently. Um, but afterwards, she was quite quiet in the car after saying goodbye to my sister when she was going to Thailand. And she wasn't normally like that. And mm. she wasn't normally that quiet, you know, um, mm. almost like she didn't think she was going to see her again. And uh, mm. uh, the last time she saw my dad, and her and my dad are separated and divorced by that point, but... They were still friends, and yeah. I think a couple of weeks before she died, they they had a drink and reminisced, and yeah. you know, and just yeah. kind of um, celebrated good things that they'd done together and good times yeah. that they'd had together, and wow. we were in a good place. Uh, yeah. And and then the, the night before she died, she came to see me and wow. dropped off some of my medication. I have no idea where she got it from. I have no idea. Like wow. when I get to, when I see her again, I'm going to ask her where she got it from because I had no idea where she got it from or how she got it. She didn't even have permission to to get it. Um, um and um, um, we had a big hug and everything, and um, and you know it was a nice moment, and uh, mm-hmm. that was the last time I saw her. So she got to say goodbye to yeah. everybody, and when we looked in her diary, because uh, she had a diary because of her short term mm-hmm. memory. Mm. for 
quite a few days before she died and for and in days after she actually died she'd written in um mm. like tell james to make my funeral a happy one you know like and wow. the constant reminders yeah. to remind me to do that and it was almost like she knew that she didn't yeah. have long you know and she wasn't ill i mean she wasn't like in hospital or anything she didn't have a an illness that would you know um yeah although, you know her body wasn't in the best state because if she'd had out she'd been alcoholic and stuff and uh obviously she had she had um brain damage from her asthma but um yeah. that wasn't what well, she died of an asthma attack like a, a severe oh. asthma attack Gosh, um, she was chronic asthmatic. I mean, she'd been asthmatic for 15 years and had really serious, nearly died a few times. So, um, yeah, it was it was really strange. Uh, it was it was mm. like she knew, uh, yeah. and uh, and also that she was at peace almost with with it and yeah. at peace with herself. It was really interesting because yeah, I I'd love to know just what she was thinking around that time because it's um and it's not the first time i've heard that about people who just before they die um, it happened with it happened with my mum it's i can't believe we're having this all these similarities james it's incredible because it happened with my mum as well she kind of knew um she'd she my brother told me later that she'd asked for a certain um new year's day dinner being made and they'd um they'd made something else and not realized and then he felt really bad about it and she'd left a, again a little note she'd left a little note in at the side of her desk and all she'd put was were three songs three hymns and that was all that was on this bit of paper three hymns um just tucked in where she would normally have her cup um and and I thought wow she she knew it's and and then you won't you only see you only see you only see afterwards i think that was what really me and my brother discussed it quite at length and we were like how did we miss all those signals all those little signs and signals that are telling you know but which was so that's so strange that you've said that as well you know all the you know the notes in the diary and things and yeah um, yeah it was it was uncanny, uh, mm. and it was uncanny. It was almost she was almost in tune with the energy of the universe. Like yes. she, it's yeah. like it's almost as if when you get close to death, you become more in tune with that stuff because yes, maybe that's because of where you're going. <laughs> you know, maybe that's what your maybe that's where your soul, your spirit, whatever you want to call it, your consciousness, yeah, is heading. So you. Yeah, feel more connected with it. Yeah, uh, and yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's some science around that that we haven't yet discovered yet. Um, Probably not. Let's. It it would certainly be interesting research. I think if um, someone could uncover. Yeah, that. it is because I mean, the more I've done a lot of embodiment work this year, and yeah, much more much more in tune with my body, with my intuition, yeah. with um, being highly sensitive. You know that's what being sensitive kind of is you're in tune with that that energy all the time like to quite a high level sometimes yeah well yeah. i mean here's an example of that actually i'll tell you i've said this before in the podcast but it is a great story a sad story but it's a it's a it's an interesting one the 28th of august uh 2020 i noticed in my body i was quite angry upset um and i didn't know why because 
I thought about all the all the, the thought about the date, and I thought, well, this isn't an anniversary of anything, when anyone's birthday or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nothing happened on this day. Um, there's nothing happening that's bad. So I'm, you know, um, so why am I? Where is this coming from? Like, I wasn't sure. Um, I just knew my body was taking this on. It was quite heavy. And the next day, I woke up and found out that um, Chadwick Boseman had died the previous day. Oh, wow. And it hadn't come out, but it, he had died. He, The time I was feeling all that stuff, he'd already died. It just hadn't come out publicly. And it was like, oh, my God, my body actually knew that had happened. Wow. Like, uh, it was, it was, and I just it wasn't aware consciously. And because that's what being highly sensitive is, is like, can yeah. be like. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. To pick up on these things, like, especially when it's somebody well-known who everyone will <laughs> grieve. Like everyone grieved Chadwick Boseman dying. It was like a collective, it was a, a big outpouring of grief. Everyone felt it. Yeah. So of course, if you're in tune with the energy of the universe, you would pick it up. A sensitive person would pick that would pick that up. So yeah, and it's funny that maybe maybe what happens, I don't know, maybe this is just literally speculation. There's no evidence to support like mm-hmm. scientific evidence or research to support it, but maybe. Yeah. When you get close to death, you pick up on that energy a lot more. I would think so because it's it's like a it's a you know it's um it's like a returning a returning to nature, a returning to Gaia. Um, I've I've just been on um uh, I've just been I'm, at the minute I'm uh, doing some creative work with um, the Tree Sisters through their through their Soul Trees program because. Um, sales of my books fund trees and things like this were coming up in the discussion this evening um and it was uh, so many people on the call were really really quite emotional um and tapping into the earth energy um because we have this um it's, I think it's the is it it's not happened for seven hundred years the alignments of the planets and it's all to do with the winter solstice which is obviously which is on Monday um, and so many people were tuning in to the energy of the Earth and I think um, I think maybe one of the good things to come out of of the pandemic if there ever was a good thing to come out of a pandemic is that a lot of us have been um forced to stop and to there's been so much grief this year across the world because of all the losses and i think people have been humanity has been forced to stop and have a bit of a reckoning with itself whether yeah. you, whether you believe that's happened from a higher power or whether it's you know whether you believe it's gaia or it's just you know, you know, humans authoring their own misfortune, the, you know, the work of God or the work of nothing at all, it's a coincidence. But I think that there was something about this year and, and obviously pe- so many people are grieving this year and um, mm. I think grief can take you, like the winter solstice, it can take you into the darkest of places that you n- never even fathomed before. And until... Um, until you actually experience that yourself, mm. you you don't know um, because a, a lot of people, a lot of people said to me, and and you know very you know sweetly and you know it was very nice of them. You know they were concerned and they say, oh I'm so you know I'm so sorry, 
um, oh, I can imagine it's awful, you know. Um, oh, oh, I've, you know, yeah, I've had a near miss or I'm sorry for your loss and things. Um, you know, I've lost such and such. And sometimes I would, I would want to, when you're in the cycle of grief, you go through, you don't literally don't know from day to day what, what, what you're going to, what you're going to experience. And sometimes I'd want to scream at people and say, don't say that because you don't know. But then equally, I'd be like, thank you. That's really thoughtful. That's so nice. Thank you for thinking of me. You know, so it's, it's, it's one of those, um, one of those tricky situations because so many people don't speak about grief, but maybe maybe this year more people will. You know, I think we're be- getting better at speaking about mental health, um, about, you know, we've obviously got a lot of serious issues, um, human issues that we have to deal with. Um, we've got a major climate crisis that we have to face, but I think... Maybe the pandemic on some kind of universal level maybe not had to happen, but has happened for a reason, you know, to make us think about grief and loss and what really matters. You know, it doesn't matter what sort of pair of shoes you've, if they've got a red bottom on your pair of your shoes, you know, or, you know, like loads of women aspire to have red bottom shoes that cost the earth. Um, or then what the latest handbag is or who's driving a fancier car or, you know, who's got a big wage rise or whatever like that. You know, there's so much of that. This was something else that came out of the Tree Sisters this evening was that so many of the people on the call, and, and it was not just women as well, there were some, you know, with Tree Brothers in there as well, and they were like, I've left a 20-year corporate job and I finally feel free and happy. Um, and I think this this time it's just I think it's shaking humanity to its core and I think it was needed I think it was probably needed because yes yeah we're killing Gaia ourselves We're, we're doing this we have to take responsibility so we're grieving for each other for our families for our loved ones we're grieving for what the NHS staff and my niece is a paramedic as well. And, you know, what, what all the NHS are having to go through and what, you know, our classroom teachers are having to, you know, fight fires in schools, you know, dealing with all the emotional side of it as well. Um, and, you know, work, working out who's in this bubble and that bubble and which one, which classroom's safe and who's not and this, that and the other. But um, at the end of the day, I think we've got to, you know, go through an awakening and we've we need to go into a period of grieving for Gaia because we we are you know we are literally consuming our planet to death and if we don't start not just being sustainable but being but taking that grief and using it to empower ourselves and think right what kind of future do we want for the planet um and feeling because a lot of people have been talking about eco-anxiety and they you know I feel so many people are like I feel so bad I feel like the planet's dying I feel powerless etc but we have it within us to all make the right choices um and to restore mother nature and restore ourselves and face our own grief 
through Mother Nature and our explanation, you know, our exploration of her and getting getting back in touch with what really matters. Does that yes. does that kind of make sense, James? I mean, it, it makes <laughs> sense. Everything you're saying makes sense. You know, it. I sensed. I sensed. I first sensed that there was there might be a shift happening back in twenty early twenty sixteen. Yeah, uh, and it was when Donald Trump was running for election, and I was just on the beginning of this journey that I've been on of transformation. Yeah, and I talked to somebody, an expert in what's called spiral dynamics, which is kind of about human consciousness and stages of human consciousness and levels of human consciousness. Right, and um, I just remember what he said at the time was that. If Donald Trump wins, there will be a massive shift in human consciousness, like collective human consciousness, because it will rip apart the fabric of of what of where we are now. We will be forced to move, yeah, and we will have to shift. And uh, and it stuck with me, you know. Uh, and yeah, and I, I just the more the more work I did on myself the more the more i grew the more i got in tune with this and i just said something something shifting something is happening yeah you know uh, in our collective consciousness and i completely understand that yeah yeah and that is i mean you could call it spiritual you could call it the energy of the universe you could call Mm -hmm. it mother nature you could call it it's all of those things in a way uh and that this will actually end up having repercussions culturally or end up having repercussions politically you know there's and and if you're in tune with the energy of the universe you can see it you can feel it you can sense it and something is shifting and for me actually the engine room of that is grief yes that that grief is like the engine room of transformation absolutely we have now we're going to this collective grief Yes. You know, again, they said that the pandemic was coming. People have said this pandemic was coming. Yeah. And, uh, you know. And, and it was like the universe almost. And, that, and that's the other thing that was funny. At the beginning of the pandemic, when we were all at home, mm. right, the the change in, like, the climate, you know, yes. suddenly the air was cleaner, the air was fresher, water was less dirty, like, you know, outside. And it was like... Is this maybe? Is this like? Is this like the Earth's way of kind of yes cleaning itself? <laughs> you know, like yeah. just you know, kind of getting putting the pause button on so that it can take care of itself. Yeah, you know. And again, it was almost this. This is just a way for us to okay. We need to use this energy to absolutely to be transformed. And the only way we do that is actually by naming it for what it is. Yeah, and. Yeah doing the work and going into that grief and into that space uh-huh. and reflecting on ourselves and making and getting uncomfortable and making tough decisions. Absolutely. And the challenges, yeah. And the challenge is that whether we, whether we will do that as a, as a culture, whether we'll do, whether we will do that politically, whether we will do that um, individually and yeah. Yeah. And honestly, that's kind of what become one of the, the, things of my work and it's you know the, yeah. the book that I'm trying to to write at the moment is yeah. about all of this and because yeah. it's so so important how we respond to this will be so important because we can't ignore it no you can't it, ignore it. it so you can either you can either just try and medicate it away like we've done for <laughs> 40 years you know um with certainty 
um, you know, or any kind of any kind of habit, any kind of coping mechanism, you can try and medicate it away that way, or you can actually start to do the work. That's uh, it. And the work will mean that things might get worse first, but ultimately they will then get better. So that's what my hope is, really, that maybe things get worse, maybe they might get better. And in the UK um, yeah. context, you know, maybe the kind of Brexit thing and everything that will happen with that as well as the pandemic, maybe that might be... Like enough is enough. You have to do something about this, and that might signal the yeah. shift politically um, and culturally that we need in 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 the UK. Oh, I, I come. I completely agree. Um, and I I particularly like your point because I um it it just rings with me. And again, it's like you say, it's that going through that grief. You can't change the world if you can't if you haven't changed yourself you've got to do the work on yourself first before you can then make changes in your life and then beyond your life and you know spread messages and um and then sort of repurpose your life and look at and reflect and um you have to do the work first and i i realize i didn't realize that until after dad died um because when when mum died it was such a shock I couldn't I couldn't face the fact that she had gone that I wouldn't ever hold her again that I wouldn't hear a voice or see her cheeky little smile or um you know give her you know a kiss or just nip round and see her speak to her because I spoke to her every single day every single day we spoke um and sometimes twice a day if I hadn't seen her um, I've seen uh, dad as well um, but I, I six weeks after six weeks after my mum died um, my now husband he proposed to me because he had been planning to anyway um, and obviously we, we, he didn't expect my mum to pass away um so he still proposed and and I think some people may have said to him oh I don't think that's a good idea the timing's not good and he said no he said I trust in Jane that she needs something positive she needs something happier that she can channel this energy into um and and he was right I did I I needed I literally I threw myself into planning a wedding and I threw myself into starting a master's and then, you know, you know, as well as teaching and being a, a, a manager, etc. cetera. Um, and I was running away from my grief and I, I was literally running away because I started running and, you know, doing half marathons and 10 Ks and things. And, and I was, I lost myself in trying to escape I didn't do the work but I didn't know how to do the work and I didn't know that I should do the work um and it then it wasn't until losing dad just hours after getting my degree um graduating that after that um in the December, I then I I couldn't face going back into school, so it, I'd lost my dad on the fifth of December, and I had the I had three weeks off yeah. because I 
because school school is not a place to be in. But this is my personal opinion. At Christmas time, when you're grieving, you can't be singing carols and putting on nativity. The thought of putting on a nativity, as you know, our Key Stage One team always did, and we did it beautifully. I just, I, I said to my head teacher at the time, I said, I can't be there. I said, I can't be happy and sing carols when my dad's just died. I, I need space. I need time. Um, and then I rolled into 2019. I, I, I went back and I, I tried, um, you know, to teach and to get on with things. Um, and then I, I hurt my back in, uh, in the February and I had to have some time off. Um, and then I, I went back again and then it was, uh, I want to say about late March or April time. Um, I basically had a complete breakdown at school and I just said, I cannot do this. I cannot stand in front of these children and be a teacher. I cannot be Mrs. Brown, the teacher, I need to be a grieving daughter and I also need to face all the grief around my mum that I had not done the work on, I'd not dealt with. So I then went into sort of two months, I had a period of time, about two months I think off school, Um, I got the grief counselling and did a lot of work and I actually, I poured my heart and my soul into my second book, Gaia's Revenge. Um, I mean, the last three, the last three chapters or so that I wrote, I I just I banged them down so fast, and I did it with my hands were wet from wiping the tears. The keyboard was wet because I was I was crying so hard and so much, but I just had to channel. It, it was so cathartic for me, and I just had to channel all this grief and ac- and make and accept things that I just didn't want to accept, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even the fact that it was like, you know, at one point I was angry with my dad because it was like, "You're stealing my thunder. This is my graduation day, and you die on my graduation day. How dare you?" Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy, but but, but it was. It was a gift because he waited for me. And so mm. doing the work, and I think 2019 was awful. It, it Just awful. Just going through that depression, facing the grief, um, quitting my teaching job, walking away from it. Um, it, it was just, but it was necessary. And, and now... Now, especially having found Tree Sisters um, and this wonderful community and uh, me wanting to give back because I feel that my writing, my books, my stories, my characters, um, you know, the the trees, nature, it's it feels like the right thing to do and it feels I am compelled to not just run a sustainable author business um but i want to be a restorative business and i think so many businesses and this is what claire dubois who is the founder of tree sisters um she talks very openly about you know like sustainability is not going to be enough we have to go further we have to 
we have to regenerate and give back much, much more because we, we're dealing with, you know, historical, you know, carbon levels in into the into the atmosphere. This has been happening since, you know, the the industrial revolution, and it started in this country. And it feels like it feels like we Brits, we need to be doing the most <laughs> the most amount of work, you know. Um, yeah. But that's just my personal opinion. But you're absolutely right. You have to do the work on yourself. You have to take – it's like people say, you can't take care of others until you've taken care of yourself, and that's so true. So yeah, I, I knew I had to take care of myself before then I could do what I need to do, what I believe is my calling. You know, I kind of like the, – there's a – a little bit of a, a joke amongst the, my tree sister community. They call me Jane Potter because I want to be, I don't want to be the next JK Rowling. That's um, not that there's anything wrong with, you know, but that's up to people to decide <laughs> about JK Rowling. We won't go down that road. Um, but, you know, people say, to, oh, you're going to be the next JK Rowling. And I'm like, no, I want, I won't mind following in Beatrix Potter's footsteps because the work that she did as a pioneer for children's authors and then to buy farmland and protect land with the National Trust and snap up 4,000 acres of land. And then she's she's left so much more of a legacy than just the beautiful books and the illustrations. She's left protected land. Um, and I thought, wow, that wow, that is just what a legacy to leave and I thought that's I feel like that's my calling now that I want to be able to drive restoration through the earth chronicles um and as they sell and grow then I can donate more and more and and build you know an earth chronicles forest and and things yeah so rest, rest restoration is the key I think in, yeah, in, in, right. in, yeah. Internally, externally, you have to you have to restore yourself. Do, do the restorative work yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I, does I agree that kind of make sense? With everything you said. <laughs> absolutely, it does to me. Yeah, um, yeah. You've got to. Yeah, that it's work. It's work, and it never ends. Really, it's a long going process, but it is a liberating transformative process a positive process you know you become more yourself you become more connected to yourself um are you more connected to the world to the energy of the universe whatever you want to call it whether it's spirit or anything like anything else uh and you become healthier in yourself and uh and more free and more connected to your yeah. loved one actually because i that's the other thing about grief that I didn't say. That it was, I've done this work in the last few years. My grief has evolved mm. into, it's still grief, but it's different. Yes. It's, it's connection. I have a connection yes. with my mother. I have a relationship yeah. with her. I, um, I can sense when she's, her presence is around. I can, I say stuff to her sometimes, you know, um, it's a weird thing. Like you can't explain it to somebody who's not, not experienced it and who's not been through it um, it sounds a bit weird for people who've not been through it like 
bit kind of very fairy kind of thing. Um, but actually, it's a real thing, and it, it's tangible. It really is. Uh, and hundred percent. It's the um. I, I, this will probably make you laugh, but um, the. So we lost my dad in fifth um, of December, twenty eighteen. And then whenever, um, whilst I was off school, um, just to, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to nip to the shops. I'm going to nip to our local supermarket just to do something or I'll, I'll go out for a walk and I'll end up in there. And every single time, every time I walked in, I swear to God, Galdate came on. Now that's, you know, it's not a very well-known Christmas you know, it's it's an old medieval um, sort of Christmas type song. I'd never heard it on the radio before or played out anywhere. And it was my dad's, one of his absolute favourites. And every time I walked in to the supermarket, it came on. And I was like, oh, "Oh, that's, that's, that's a bit strange. And the first time it happened, I thought, oh that's nice and I was like hi dad yeah you coming shopping with me you know and try to laugh it off and things but when it happened and it was happening the fourth and the fifth time and it was completely different times of day and I was just and I was like oh okay ooh, every time I walk in it comes on that's so it was literally coming on on over their sound system within minutes of me being in there and I was like oh this is a little bit strange. Yeah, I have that with certain songs, yeah. Yes. Um, and it's the, the surreal timing of certain songs <laughs> when you, it's like, okay, this is weird. Like, yeah. like okay, this one wasn't, this is, this is like, <laughs> yeah. Um, or when you're, it's a certain day and you hear yeah. that song, yeah. you know, just yeah. randomly. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I rang my brother. Or something. Yeah, it's, remember, uh, yeah. I remember ringing my brother and I was like, you're not going to believe it's happened again. And he was like, what? I said, yeah. And then he rang me again later on. And he was like, I heard it as well. Like, I heard it on the radio. I've never heard it. And I was like, oh, I was like, dad, it's dad. You know, <laughs> he's, he's like, he's gone, but he's really not gone. It's like he, he wouldn't leave us kind of thing. So yeah. And actually, I saw this movie, um, which is a movie about, it's a movie about astrophysics and it's a movie about um, quantum physics and it's a movie about astronomy and it's a movie about and it's a movie about grief. Wow! And what it's is got all those things right? And it's one of the things they talk about is quantum entanglement. That when you bond, like, because we're all made of atoms, and the atoms that made yeah. us used to be something else, yeah. and the atoms that make us now will be something else one day, yeah. and that that when you bond with some yeah. Certain atoms that that there's some there's some kind of lasting connection. Yeah. Right. And it just got me thinking about and I'm not a scientist, I have no idea. Like I'm not an expert on this at all, but it just it just kind of I just got this and it's a moment in the film which really encapsulates this. And I'm not gonna tell you because it'll ruin it. But what what is the um, film, James? What is the film? Clara. It's not a kind of Hollywood it's an independent movie. It's on I think it's available on on Amazon Prime and Apple TV, I think you can right. you can stream it. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, and 
I've recommended it to almost everyone I know. Actually, it's it's so good, and um, yeah, and I just thought, well, what is this? Is this what this actually is? You know, is this what what I'm experiencing when I have those moments that that she's almost her atoms have become one with the universe or the energy, energy of the universe, and I'm just become really so tuned into that, and I have such a bond to her yeah. that I can sense that. You know, wow, yeah, um, that one- and pretty cool actually <laughs> she can sense that in me like she can pick me up where i am like she can sense where i like and it's obviously why that music comes on it's just like it's, it's really like you can't prove it you can't prove it at all but <laughs> but it's just like mm, yeah this is this is strange and this is almost like spirit as well you know anything yeah. about yeah um, eternal life or whatever if you're a christian like and i still have i'm still have a kind of a spirituality and a, a kind of which had the Jesus element to it. Yeah. Uh for sure. And and yeah, is this what it's all about? You know, it just makes you think, that's all. I mean, and, it does, yeah. Yeah. And um, um yeah. Just I said, um I, I loved what you said about the grief evolving and um that's really struck me because um you do um and I, I wrote i wrote an old blog post about it that i i now live my life through the grief lens that i look at everything through a lens of grief and sometimes the grief is like feels like it's burning my irises and then other times it feels like it's far away in the distance um and i can only just make it out but i um I, so i think that shows like the what you say about grief evolving and it and it changes and and represents itself in different ways and this is very true um in my writing because um i i created a new little character in my in my fens tales in my fen tales series um and for some reason i i had absolutely no intention of of doing this but I, I made him an orphan and I was like, oh, why, why have I done that? And I, I didn't even realise I'd done it. And then at the end of um, my, my first Little Fens Tales, I, I wrote this scene and I was a bit choked up and I thought, ooh. And I was like, why have I done that? And I didn't realise until then I did the second one, A Winter's Tale, and when i went when i explored it more for the character development i was like oh my god it's me sorry oh my goodness <laughs> um people have said a lot worse on this show than oh my god i can tell you <laughs> um well i'm a children's author so i've got to be careful <laughs> <laughs> okay I, I, Fair I realized that it was it was me i i've I've turned my little character Watton into some sort of hybrid version of me and made him an orphan because I'm now an orphan. And I was like, oh my gosh, my grief is evolving and it's evolving within my writing the whole time. And I was like, why have I done that to him? Why have I represented him and built his character in that way? And it, it, but it just felt like the next natural step, Um, which I, I just found. Now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, Paul Watton, why have I done that to him? <laughs> Do you know? It's you know, my my yeah. So it's what you said about the evolution of grief is yeah, it, it really rings true. 
That sounds like a really good title for something, actually. The Evolution of Grief. Mm, I'll let you have that one. Yeah, I'm having that one. I'm taking that one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The Evolution of Grief. Yeah, that's good. Oh, that's good. Yeah. um, Yeah. 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 So, I mean, this has been really great. I'm sure we could talk about this for hours and hours. But, um, as we kind of, this is going out early 2021, and Great, yeah. what would be your words of kind of wisdom and encouragement to people who have come to 2020 and are carrying a lot of grief and are trying to learn how to process that? What would be one thing you'd want to say to them? Um, that's quite a big question. Wow. <laughs> I, <laughs> if I could give them one piece of advice I would say trust in the process and trust in Gaia trust in in nature um it's grief especially when it's initial and it's raw and it's fresh it's overwhelming and you literally well can't you know you will feel like you can't breathe but the memories the memories that you hold dear will become so fundamental to your core and how you go forward with those memories and trusting in nature and getting in touch with yourself and never ever be afraid to do the work and as awful as it is you have to accept the grief because if you don't at some point accept the grief you will be stuck in a spin cycle um I would say maybe trust the process but you know it's I, I won't say you know everybody says oh oh it it gets easier it gets easier but it just it comes forward and then it moves away it comes forward and then it moves away it's it's trust in the flux in the flux and when you need to feel it you will feel it and let it happen and when you're okay it will just be existing in the ether around you and you will look at things differently you will feel differently about everything and learn from it and process it and take it forward in a positive way and those memories will be some of the most precious things you will have ever experienced in your life what a beautiful way to end the show (laughs) Uh, to end this episode you know it's um yeah thank you so much um it's been my James. it's been an absolute treat talking to you so thank you so much for for having me on the show (laughs) you're welcome you know and where can people connect with you online um you can visit my website at jabrown.com and that's brown with an e um i'm on instagram and facebook with um ja brown author and on pinterest as well um but yeah if anybody out there wants to get in touch i'd be delighted to hear from you you can contact me at author at jabrown.com um and i'm always i'm i'm an open book always happy to 
you know, to chat and to engage with people. And, you know, it's, it's important that we all talk to each other. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you. And I'm sure we'll have you back sometime too. So, um, <laughs> uh, thanks for listening everybody and, uh, and take care. <laughs>